Everybody doing okay this morning? Man, what a great looking group. It's good to be together in this way. I, uh, I have had a busy weekend like I'm sure you have. And uh, last night uh, I was doing a wedding in New Ulm and Andrew was doing a wedding in Out Galveston. And so your pastors have been, been uh, out serving and working in the city and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm really excited about this talk today because it's, I think, could change your life in a good way. We're in a series called Together, and we started a couple of weeks ago, and what I told you a couple of weeks ago in this series, Together, was that in Together, we are better. So we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, talked about the body and how the body has different parts. Each of the parts are equal. Some parts of the body cannot say to other parts of the body, you're not as important to me, or I'm not as important as you. And so all of us have a role in the body. We're the body of Christ on mission. And then last week, I talked about the part of being together that is Sunday morning. I talked about the fact that Sunday morning as a gathering is absolutely, without a doubt, 100% essential for your Christian faith. And the way we worship together on Sundays models how we're to live throughout the week. And so today, we begin to move a little bit in this talk to think about how we have been brought together. Like, what is the work of God in the world to bring us together? And then we're going to end up in a place where I'm telling you this, that in response to God giving us life through Jesus Christ, we get to walk together in good works, like for a purpose. You see, what I believe is that every one of you has a special calling on their lives. Not only do you have spiritual gifts that God has given you, but you have a unique calling on your life. And part of the work of the church is to help you live into that calling. And if we're doing that together, then we are better as a church in God's redemptive mission. So we want to think a little bit about what it means to really live. You ever thought about that? Ever thought about what your body requires just to stay alive? Coffee? Anybody? Can I get a witness? Uh, On a more serious note, um, there's something called the rule of threes. Your body cannot live without air breathing for more than three minutes. Your body cannot live without water for more than three days. And your body cannot live without food for more than three weeks. Have you ever heard of that, the rule of threes? Uh, Your body is in some ways so strong, but in other ways very fragile. Do you know that the humans can only live within like two miles of the earth? And we we can't go very below sea level before we would be unable to live. If it was 140 degrees for longer than 10 minutes, you'd be dead. Which we all think about, about mid-July and August in Houston. And, And if your body temperature dropped to 70 degrees, you'd be dead. When you think about what it takes for you to be alive, it's quite a remarkable thing. And I want you to begin thinking about this because the passage today explains to us that most people, although physically alive, are basically dead. And so what the Bible is going to say in Ephesians chapter 2 is that without Christ, a person is dead, not alive, not living, not experiencing all that God wants them to. So look there in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. 
it says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. These are transgressions. These are the things that you do that miss the mark that God has set out for you. In which you once walked, following the course of this world. Now, Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians. He's writing to the Christian church. The people that are reading this letter are followers of Christ. And so when he's describing what it was like for them, he's talking about what it was prior to Christ, which we'll see. But it's important that you understand that. So you were dead in your trespasses and sin apart from Christ in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul was not a guy that messed around with words. I mean, he's coming on very strong here. It goes on in verse 3, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So here's what Paul is saying to the Christians in Ephesus. Prior to becoming a Christian, you were dead in your sin. You were working for the devil. You deserve the wrath of God. Aren't you glad you made extra effort to be here this morning? And it's like, oh man, thanks for the good news. It's true. Prior to becoming a Christian, he's telling the Christians at Ephesus, you were dead in your sin, not just dead in your sin, not just missing out on a better life. You're actually working for the devil. You are actually multiplying the work of the devil in the world, and you deserve the wrath of Almighty God. You see, your life without Jesus is not just a lesser version of what it could be. God sent Jesus because apart from Jesus, you are a dead man walking. And as such, you are an enemy of God apart from Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus isn't just an add-on to make life better. Faith in Jesus is how you really live. Jesus isn't just an add-on to make life better. It's not like following Jesus or becoming a Christian kind of moves you from like 75% functionality as a human being to 85%, you know? Like, yeah, I'll take some of that morality that Jesus had. Jesus was a good guy. He seemed pretty popular. I mean, the book that, you know, he's talked about in it has been widely distributed. So yeah, I'll just take some of Jesus. No. Jesus doesn't take you from 75% living to 85% living or 95% living. Jesus takes you from dead to alive. This is what Jesus does. I am convinced that this is a problem in most preaching and most of our thinking about Christianity and our culture is that people think that if I add Jesus on, it'll just make my life a little bit better. I'm telling you that apart from Jesus, you're dead. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so how do I know if I'm just adding Jesus on versus like I'm experiencing this life that God says is possible in Christ? Well, I don't know. Here are some questions I thought for my own life, kind of thinking about my own life. Do I treat Jesus just like an add-on, or is Jesus everything? Here's a question. Is Christianity a place you go on Sundays, or is it who you are every moment of the day? You know, prior to planning this church, I was in a large church, and one of the things that I was most excited about with raising my kids in this kind of church environment was because I knew my kids would begin to understand that Christianity is not just the big building we go to on Sunday. Christianity is who we are every single day with our neighbors, with the teachers at their schools, with this community, with the people that gather in this place. That's one thing for you to think about. How do you know if Jesus is just an add-on? 
let me ask you this. Do you make decisions by asking God, how does this honor Jesus? Or do you just go about your life making decisions and then on occasion wonder how Jesus will respond? Another question. If you really wanted to do something and you knew that it would not honor Jesus, would you do it? You see, because if Jesus is an add-on to your life, then you can easily remove him, go about your business until you get really desperate and realize, like, I cannot manage my own life. I need help from God. So, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. Look, come on, help me now. And that happens, and all of us tend to do that from time to time. But if Jesus is an, an add-on to your life, you'll easily set him aside. But if Jesus is your life, if Jesus is what makes you really come to life, then he is a part of everything you do. So Paul goes on in verse 4 to say this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I'm going to read that again. That is a beautiful verse. But God, this but God is like a 180 turn, what Paul's doing here in the passage. You said in the first three verses, again, you're dead. You're separated from God. You are working for the devil. You are, uh, you are deserving of the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is when we don't get something that we do deserve, which is the wrath of God. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Why does he does do it? Because he, God loves us. God loves people. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. So it's not like you started to kind of wake up and started living kind of a moral good life. And then God said, oh, okay, I'll choose you. No, it's when we're dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Check that out. God in Christ <clears throat> makes us alive. I am convinced that most people are walking around completely dead. I mean, sure, they have jobs. Sure, they have things that they're enjoying in recreation. But really, in terms, compared to the kind of life that God gives in Christ, they are basically dead. They're walking around dead. There's breath in their lungs. They have a beating heart. But are they really living? Why is this? Because we tend to look to the wrong things to make us feel really alive. The world tells us that money, popularity, vocational success, success you've, you've heard these things, a great body. Have you, ever, have you ever had that thought? If I just looked a little better, I mean, I like to exercise. But I've given up on the idea that if I could just get my body just right, then I would be really fully alive. Don't laugh. I hope that's not my wife laughing. Or how about this? The world tells us if you just find that right person, the right person to love you, then you'll feel fully alive. And, but what happens is over time, we put our hope in these things to really live, and they do not satisfy. They do not satisfy, ultimately. They do in moments satisfy, sir, sure. best that the world has to offer to make us feel fully alive will never make us fully alive because those things in and of themselves are not alive. So it's illogical to think that we can rely on them to make us feel fully alive. Only God in Christ can make us feel this way. And until we accept this, we'll walk around like zombies. Look at the next verse, next part of verse 5. 
by grace you have been saved. And this is a really important verse in the Bible. And we can miss it in the English language. It actually comes from an aorist tense verb in the Greek. And what it, the reason I'm telling you that is because the aorist tense verb means that something happens in a moment in time, but it has lasting effects. So there's a moment in time where God in his mercy and love saves you, rescues you, raises you from the dead. And that thing that, that, that once in a moment time has lasting effects on you. So there's a sense in which as a Christian, you've been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. By grace, you've been saved. What is grace? Grace is when we get something that we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't get something that we do deserve, like the wrath of God. Grace is when we get something that we don't deserve, like salvation in Christ, being raised from the dead. By grace you've been saved, and he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to read this again, and at the end of it, I want like a collective, like woohoo or yeehaw. Let's do yeehaw. It's rodeo time, people. Come on. All right, so here we go. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> yes. God in Christ makes us alive. That's how life happened. Let's continue here. Verse, trying to understand this verse 5 and 6. God in Christ raises us up from a dead, meaningless existence. I've said it. I'm going to repeat it again. So I have a dog. Raise your hand if you have a pet. Keep your hand up if you have a cat. I'm just deciding who to judge. Um... I have a dog. So we have a dog. Her name is Scout. Her actual birth name given to her by her parents, uh, the rescuers, was Hufflepuff, which is something related to Harry Potter, I think, right? Well, I'm not in my home. We need this dog to sound almost like it could be a boy dog, so we named her Scout. And uh, we, we, there she is. That's l the day I got her, and that was right before I, I uh, got home. And uh, 16 years, I've resisted the let's get a dog talk, 16 years of our marriage, and this is a couple years ago now, and uh, between the time that I had her in my arms and went inside to tell Jeannie, like, I'm home, I set her in the back, and she pooped in my truck, which I was like, Lord, this is a sign, can I take her back? Anyway, so Hufflepuff, soon to be Scout. Uh, is such a cute little dog. She's a rescue dog. You know, raise your hand if you have a rescue dog. These, these are dogs, like, you know, they do the deal where, like, they say this, we're going to put this dog to sleep tomorrow. And this dog is, is going to die. No one will take this dog. And I say, What's a, what kind of dog is it? So what do they always tell you? It's a lab mix every single time. Every single time. I, I didn't know that, but I was like, oh, lab mix, that sounds awesome. Take it hunting, you know. Can it do birds? Can it chase birds, you know? And, um... And it's not, I don't think, a lab mix. I actually think it's part whippet, if you've ever heard of that kind of a dog. It's whippet and collier. It, it doesn't matter. I don't wanna, I'm telling you this. Come visit the dog. You can have the dog, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> anyway, so we rescued this dog and uh, from, from certain death. I mean, the, the dog is basically dead, basically dead. We rescued this dog, brought it into our home. And you know what this dog gets? Our best. This dog went from certain death to 
our best. We lavish on this dog attention and food and comfort. We even got the dog a cell phone. You'll see it in this next photo. Right there. You can barely see we got her a little cell phone. That's a joke. Somehow, I don't know. I just found that picture. Anyway, so, but, but the, the dog is right now enjoying life been rescued. We've, we've poured out kindness on this dog, attention and love. This is the most spoiled dog that you will meet, which some of you would understand. But the best that I have to give this dog, the best that my four kids have to give this dog and my wife, the best that our family has to give this dog is nothing compared to the best that God gives you in Christ. Apart from Christ, you're dead, but God, in his love and mercy, rescued you, and now you get to experience the lavish love and riches of God. Look there at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So it's not just like God says, okay, I'm going to raise you from the dead in Christ, and now you have to follow a bunch of rules and do everything I say. No, God says now you get to experience real life. You get to Live fully alive in the world, and I'm going to pour out on you riches, not just financial riches, although that might happen. I hope it does. Please, Lord. You know, but it's, it's like love and purpose and meaning and calling and opportunity. I mean, I can give my dog a pretty cool home, but God in his infinite wisdom and love and his, his sovereign reign can pour out to you immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You go from being dead, separated from God, an enemy of God, working from the devil, to alive. That is awesome. And I was trying to think about, like, what does it mean to live fully alive? Like, what's a moment of emotion to live fully alive? So I mentioned that I did a wedding last night. Now, this wedding was incredible. 400 people. I mean, 400 people. It was at St. Teresa Chapel in New Ulm. Raise your hand if you've been there. Yeah, th this place is remarkable. 400 people. They were bringing people by these big SUV kind of vans in. I mean, the guests were coming in. I'm thinking to myself, I don't typically, I've done so many weddings, I don't typically get nervous. I started getting nervous. I'm like, There's, I cannot screw this up. They spent $100,000 on this wedding, right? And, and I, I can't screw this up. But there's always this, always this moment in a wedding where there is this, this like little moment where there's just incredible joy. You know what I'm talking about? You've been to a wedding. If you've been married, hopefully you've experienced that at some point. Um, you know, there's this moment of incredible joy. And then that is illustrated as the wedding party. And this was a huge wedding party. I'll post the picture. I meant to bring it. But anyway, it, it was like 40 people in the wedding party, 40 people. And they're all beautiful. I've never felt so insecure about the way I look. Honestly, I was like hiding my face during the pictures. I mean, the women were like models and the guys were all like shopped at J. Crew, And it was incredible and beautiful. And, and there's a moment of love between the two of them where that's just like, yes. And then that love and celebration and joy is demonstrated on the dance floor, right? There's always that moment on the dance floor where there's that one guy who's like, he's like painting the picture of joy the best. You know, he's like had too much to drink. And he's always like, you know, he's like that guy like right here, like, you know, and like that moment of excitement and joy. This is how you get to live in Christ because all those people are going to go home and they're going to wake up and go back to their ordinary lives. But in Christ, 
This is the kind of joy you get, and it's the kind of joy you can feel in suffering. It's the kind of joy you can feel even in hopelessness. It's the kind of joy you can feel because you know God is good even when your world doesn't seem good. It's the kind of joy you can feel being alive in Christ that enables you to love your enemies, to pray for them. It's the kind of joy that you feel as an alive person who has been freed from the imprisonment of sin and death. God is pouring out his riches on you in Christ. You're dead without Christ, but in Christ you are alive. For by grace, verse 8 says, you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. And here's the thing about it. You did not do anything to earn it. If you had, you could brag about it but you didn't, and so you can't. Let me say that again. The thing about salvation in Christ is that it's not something you can earn. You can't be good enough or smart enough. This is the difference in biblical Christianity and every other world religion. Every other world religion would say something like, you do these things, and you can get from God, possibly a dispense of His grace and of His forgiveness. And you may or may not spend eternity with God when you die. But biblical Christianity says this, is that you're dead. You can't do anything to earn God's love and mercy. But God orchestrates the events of our lives to put us in places like this where we get to hear that the way God works in the world to demonstrate His glory is by raising dead people giving them life in Christ, and then, as we'll see, deploying them into the world with good works. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. We understand this idea of gift giving. Just this week we celebrated my third child's 10th birthday. It's crazy. We've got four children, only one of them in single digits. So at his birthday, we gave him gifts. And when I gave him these gifts, I did it freely. I did not expect anything in return. And he's learned over the years that when it's time to receive a gift, he he can come to me and he'll receive a gift. Now, when they're really, really young, they do not yet understand the idea of gift giving. But you give them some gifts and then they will begin to understand the idea of gift giving. So we gave him some gifts freely. I didn't expect anything in return. I didn't say, hey, Price, here's a laser tag set. Now that'll be $25. No, it's like, here, son, I want you to have this because I love you and I care about you and I'm your father. You don't deserve it. And here's the thing about God's grace. When he gives his grace, it is a gift that keeps dispensing God's love. Some preachers would say this means that God is going to give you all the material things that you want. That's the least of your needs. Actually, what you need is a greater experience of God's love. So in his grace, what God continues to do as you're living life in Christ is that you continue to experience his love and it compels you and encourages you focuses you. 
and it never runs out. Those gifts that I've given price, I know how this goes. They were, were, or maybe hopefully for a few more days will be exciting, but then they'll kind of get sent to the side, right, in the other pile of things. But the thing about God's love is it continues to be the kind of thing that we get to experience and enjoy and we get to unpack and learn about. This is what happens in Christ. Now, what if I wanted to give my son a gift that he did not want to receive, but I knew it was good for him? What would I do? I would continue to pursue him. Christ, i got something for you, man. No, I don't want that. I don't need that. Yes, you do. I know you do. I know you want it. I mean, this is laser tag. You can, like, shoot people in the house, you know, with each other, which does maybe not. We need to edit that from the podcast. Shooting people in the house would not, is not, like, a good thing. Anyway, so, um, but, you know, this is a gift that I want to give you. I want to bless you with. Some of you have been running from the gift of God in Christ for your life because you do not believe that it's actually something you need. How's that working out for you? How is it going trying to build a happy, healthy marriage without Jesus? How's it going trying to find your identity in something other than work whenever you're at work and things get difficult? How's it going for you to live life rejecting the gift of God in Christ. I have spent literally tens of thousands of hours with people who go through seasons of thinking that they can live life and experience being fully alive apart from God, and then they get to a place where that system just explodes on them and they're unsure what to do. But along the way, they've made mistakes and things that will forever be a part of their lives. What I'm saying to you is this, is that do not reject the gift of God in Christ for you. It is a great demonstration of his love to you. And whether or not you realize it, apart from Christ, you're dead. You'll never be fully alive. And God pursues you. He wants to pour it out on you. This is the gospel and it's good news. And this is the message that brings us together. You see, we in this series have been talking about being together. And as a church, we talk regularly about together on mission. Our mission as a church is we're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. And the thing that brings us together, that invites us in, that unites us, is this good news called the gospel. And the thing that deploys us is the good news of the gospel. That though we were dead, God in his love and mercy raises us from the dead and gives us new life and continues to pour out blessings and love on us. And then in verse 10, I love this, and this is where we're going to end up. For we are his workmanship. God is working on us, doing doing what he wants to do in us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the thing. God raised you from the dead and is showing you immeasurable kindness, not just so that you won't go to hell when you die, but because he has a purpose for your life. And the trick here is figuring out what is that? What are the good works that I'm supposed to do? So if I were to say you, okay, as a Christian, what are the good things that we're supposed to do? Most would respond with things like this. Oh, we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to read our Bible. We're supposed to share the gospel with others. 
supposed to be kind. And that is generally true. Like I would encourage all of those things. But let's press beyond that. What is your, as an individual, good work? What is God going to do through you in this world? Because all of you are uniquely made. And God has brought us together. And it's more than pray, read the Bible, all those things. And I don't mean to say it as if those things aren't important because they're very important and certainly want to teach those. But if I were to ask you, what is your calling? Like, what are you put on this earth for? Could you answer that question? When we first started this church, about two years into it, I got really convicted about something. So convicted that for those that were around at that time, you might remember, I stood in front of the church and repented. And what I basically was saying was this, is that I started a church that I want all of you to help me build something. But God has worked in my heart so much because what the reason that God has called me to begin this church with a group of other people and all of you is because we together get to help each other do something. It's not just you helping me build something. It's me helping you live into the calling on your lives. And if we're doing that, then we together are going to see remarkable things in this area of Houston, which is, as I said before, an area they say that church planters go to die. But we're still here seven years in. What is the calling on your life? I want to help you discover that. What's the purpose for your life? I want to help you discover that. Two weeks ago when I preached the message about the body of Christ, I touched on this idea of spiritual gifts, that in Christ you have released by the Holy Spirit some spiritual gifts. And I encourage you to go find out what those are. And I said to you, you can Google online spiritual gift test, and you can find out what your spiritual gifts are. And some of you may have done that. Others of you probably uh, may have not. And I walked away from that a little disturbed because I felt like I was a little negligent about it. And so we as a church are going to be better about helping you discover your life call. What is the purpose for which God has put you on this earth? And so for about a year now, I have been training in a tool, and Andrew has also for about six months, training in a tool called Unique that we're going to use to help you discover your life call. And it's not just so that you can be better about helping on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it's not just so we can find out if you're going to be on the setup team, teardown team, kid city team. No, no, no. There's something larger than that. Like, what is God's purpose for you in your workplace? What is God's purpose for you on, in your neighborhood? Some of you are working jobs that you're miserable at. And the reason is because you're doing something that you're not called to do. You may be educated to do it, but you may not be called to do it. And I just want you to know that life is short. And I don't want you to go another month or two months or three months or a year without living into the call that God has on your life. Because I know this, that the more clarity we have as individuals to the good works that we're called to, the stronger we are as a body in establishing the kingdom in this neighborhood. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, I want to say to all of those of you that have not yet crossed over the line of faith, accept it. Accept the free gift of God in Christ. Today's the day. And you say, well, I have questions. Good. We love questions. We, we, we want to be the kind of place where you can question things and we can wrestle with the truth together. But don't let those questions be the reason that you don't at least pursue the truth. 
You can't say, well, I have questions, so I don't care. Well, you should care because if it's true, you're dead apart from Christ. Cross over the line of faith. Accept God. You say, well, how do I do it? Then I, It's very simple. God, I'm a sinner. I, I've separated from you because of my sin, and I want forgiveness, and I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sin, and he was raised into new life so that I could live. Then share with God your heart. Cross over the line of faith in Christ. And for all the rest of you, if you want help in getting clarity on your life call, I want to help you. I want to help you so much that we're going to be doing a pilot of this program that I've been training in for about a year, and it's called Unique. And so get out your pens, write it down. This is very practical um, in terms of application. On May the 5th, the weekend of May the 5th, and also the weekend on June the 2nd, I'm going to be doing uh, a pilot of this process. Now, hear me. This process typically costs $2,500, but we're going to do it in the life of our church for only $3,000. Just kidding. Um, it'll just be the cost of the materials, which is like 180 bucks. I mean, we're not, the church isn't making any money on it. We want to help you get clarity in your calling because we, as a church, believe that we're to equip you to live out the calling that God has placed on your life. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God has prepared before the beginning of the world some works for you to do. And so if you're interested in this, then I want for you to write on your Connect card, just write the word unique, and I'll send you some more information about it. Now, this isn't like a, I go to an hour class and then I figure it out and then my life's all. It, it takes some work. So if you're not really curious about your life call, then um, it would be a waste of your time and a waste of mine for you to, to participate. But if you're like, you know, I'm not really sure what these good works are that I'm called to, I want to do them. And we want you to take advantage of this. Andrew and I both will be there and we'll be facilitating this time together. What are your good works? Do you feel fully alive? Some of you are in Christ and you're like, I still don't feel fully alive. We're going to help you discover and get clarity on your life so that you can live fully alive in Christ. All right, let's pray on and think about these things. So if you're here and you have not yet crossed over the line of faith, then this would be a wonderful time to do it. I beg you, I plead with you, accept the free gift of God in Christ. Just tell God what's in your heart. You can say, God, I don't completely understand it all. But I do believe that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead so that my sins could be forgiven. For the rest of you, are you living fully alive? What could be keeping you from that? Maybe there's a sin area of your life. Some ongoing, unrepentant sin. Something that you continue to um, just kind of ignore God on. 
That's an area of your life where Jesus is the add-on, right? You can set him aside, go about your sins, and come back to Jesus every once in a while. What is that area? Don't go another day letting that kill you. It's not worth it. God Almighty, we love you. We trust that your Holy Spirit is going to work in us. God, thank you. That though we are dead, we're dead. Because of your mercy and love, you've given us life in Christ. God, thank you that not only have you given us life in Christ, but you continue to pour out your kindness on us. Thank you, God, that you have prepared some good works for us to do, that we get to respond to this free gift of salvation and in gratitude live out the good works that you've called us to do. God, this moment is about you. We love you.